Awesome. Thanks for your joy. Thank you for making people feel welcome. Thank you, River West, for praying for our Korea team, the team of students and leaders. I got to be part of that. We just got back from Korea last week, and I have to tell you, it was an amazing trip. We felt your prayers. God was with us. And can I tell you something? You can be extremely proud of the high school students in this church. Like I'm telling you right now, if you could, yeah. If... If you could have been a fly on a wall in Korea watching our high school students honor Jesus, share the gospel, work, serve. It was amazing. This ministry partnership that we have with Holt Ilson, where our students get to serve people there who have some kind of a handicap. They did work projects, but they also spent time with the residents, and it was amazing. And I listened in uh, last week to Guy's sermon about why we go. If you were here last week, he answered this question, why do we go? Why do we go to Myanmar? Why do we go to Korea? And it was a beautiful sermon and all of it applied to this trip. We go because the the command of Jesus and our love for Jesus compels us to go and share the gospel. And if you could have seen our high school students representing Jesus in Korea, it was amazing. I got home and I turned right around. I did one load of laundry. I repacked my bags and then my family went on a road trip to California to a family wedding. We got to go to Yosemite. But in the process of all that, I missed two Sundays of church. And you know what happened to me? I realized something. I really like you guys. I missed you. (laughs) Absence makes the heart grow fonder for me. I'm not saying for you, but I missed you. And uh, I kept thinking, we've talked about how when we gather here, The living God is with us. Amen. We believe that with all of our hearts here. That's why when you come in this room, there's an energy, there's a buzz, there's a joy. I don't want to miss it. And when I am gone, I do miss it. And I'm so thankful to be back. I'm thankful to be with people who love Jesus and who love his word. And would you turn there now? Will you grab your Bible and open with me to the book of dot, 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 suspense, the book of Psalms. That's where we're going. Yes, for our new series this summer, we're going to the book of Psalms. I'm so excited. Turn with me to Psalm 8. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, Ushers are coming. We want you to have the written word there. We're going to be in the Psalms together. If you're new or a visitor, you picked a great day to join River West because we're starting something new. We're glad you're here. Psalm 8 is where we will be. When I want to pour out my heart to God, but I can't quite find the words to say, I've learned in my life to turn to the book of Psalms for help. You know what I'm talking about? That feeling, you're feeling something building up in your heart and you want to talk to God about it, and you want to pour out your heart, but you just can't quite find the right language or the right words to say. Where do you go? Well, God's given us a treasure, River West. 150 psalms that we could turn to and pray. There's nothing quite like that feeling. You know that feeling where you're feeling something so strong and you can't quite articulate what it is. It's part of the human experience. We experience that when we first fall in love. Do you remember when you first fell in love? 
and you just were a, you just were a mess. You couldn't communicate. You were just flubbered and, and you couldn't say the right things. I remember when I first fell in love with Kathy. This past week, Kathy and I went back to the place where we had our first kiss, Merced, California, the epicenter of romance, Merced, California, okay? 25 years ago, July 1, I kissed Kathy for the first time. How cool is that? 25 years. I was seven and a half. No, I was something. I flew down to Merced because Kathy was down there. I've told this story. I flew down to see her. And when I got off the plane, we were just friends. When I got off the plane, the first thing Kathy said to me was, I just want you to know, Adam, I'm not looking for a relationship. To which I thought, yeah, right. We'll see how that goes in 24 hours, right? And then you know what I did? See, a guy hears that and we take that as a challenge. The challenge is on. And so I poured on the romance. We went hiking in Yosemite. I cooked her dinner. I turned on Billy Joel and we slow danced in the living room. It was so romantic. And then we kissed. It was amazing. We went out on 4th of July. We watched fireworks from the back of a pickup truck. It was so romantic. It was amazing. And the whole weekend, I couldn't quite figure out how to tell her how I felt. So you know what I did? I made her a mixed tape because I was a child of the 80s. So we do. We make, yes, we make mixed tapes. With Chicago, you're a hard habit to break. But, uh, Sorry. Do you know that feeling? You feel something so strong and you don't know quite what to say. Do you know you can experience that in your relationship with the Lord? And you should. Because knowing God is emotional. Knowing God is powerful. It's not just intellect, it is. But it's a heart thing. And there will be moments where you'll feel things about your relationship with God and you'll wonder, God, how do I say this to you in prayer? Did you know God's given us 150 songs? They're poems. A psalm is a poem that's addressed to God. Did you know that? There, there are these divinely inspired poems. The people of God carried along by the Holy Spirit, putting pen to paper and writing in poetic language, these songs addressed to God and they're beautiful and they're amazing. That's what makes Psalms so unique. You know, there's lots of different kinds of literature in the Bible. There are letters, we call them epistles, letters written by apostles and leaders to groups of Christians, to churches, to tell them how to live in the world. But a Psalm is not a letter written to people. A Psalm is a poem addressed to God. There's history in the Bible, narrative, that tells the story of the people of God. It recounts how God worked in their lives. But the Psalms are not history. They're not about people. The Psalms are poems addressed to God. In the Bible, there's theological discourse, some, of the, some rich teaching about theology and who God is and the, and the, and the nature of the gospel. But the Psalms are not first and foremost, theological treatises, although theology is there, the Psalms are poems that are addressed to God. And so we don't just read the Psalms. We don't just study them from a distance. We don't unpack the Psalms. Do you know what we do with the Psalms? We personalize them. We sing them 
We perform them. We cry out. And perhaps most importantly, we pray the Psalms. That's what we do. We pray them. When you don't quite know what to say, go to the Psalms. And I want to look at one this morning. Will you look with me? Psalm 8. We're going to look at an example that's going to help launch our series together this summer in the Psalms. But the focus is prayer, okay? Here's what David wrote in Psalm 8. That top part there, that, his, that historical introduction, that's a part of the original Hebrew. It says to the choir master, according to the gittith, that's a musical term. And then it says, this is a Psalm of David, that Hebrew word psalm, it means poetry set to music. This is poetic language. It's beautiful, it's eloquent, it's graphic, it's, it's language you can take and make your own. Consider that as we read together Psalm 8. Here's what David said. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the work of your hands. You've put him, you put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's beautiful. You know, Psalm 8 is a poem of praise. It's a worship hymn. A lot of the Psalms are praise poems. They give expression to that desire you have to praise God and declare his glory. And like every other Psalm in the Psalter, Psalm 8 was written in response to an experience that David had with God. You read about it there in verse 3. Apparently, David was out under the stars and he took in the majesty of God. You know, before David was a king, he was a shepherd. And so I imagine David as a young, young man before he was a shepherd out with his flock at night, laying back with a piece of straw in his mouth with his head on a rock, looking up at the heavens and whatever he saw took his breath away. And so the Holy Spirit inspired him and he wrote Psalm 8 and then God preserved it for you and for me. Amazing. We don't have that kind of an experience anymore out under the stars, partly because we don't go outside that much because we're always on our phones and our devices, right? But also we don't have that experience because in our our world today, we have so much light pollution, no one sees exactly what David saw. Did you know this? I actually read an article this week and they said, if every city in America turned off their lights for one night, just turned off all the lights, all the car lights, all the cell phone flashlights, we would see something that you and I have never seen before with the naked eye because of light pollution. I have a picture of it. Do you want to see it? Here it is. That's what we would see. Do you know what that is? What is that? That's the Milky Way. That's 
That's the galaxy. You, I can barely see the Big Dipper anymore, right? And that's what David saw. And when he saw that, do you know what he said? Oh, Lord, my Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It took his breath away, right? I had that experience last week. I went to Yosemite and Kathy and I, and the girls, we drove into Yosemite from the south. There's multiple ways into Yosemite. We went in from the south, and um, when you come in from the south, you go through a tunnel, through a rock, and when you come out of that tunnel, it's almost like they designed it for dramatic effect. You come out and you take in this breathtaking view of Yosemite. They call it tunnel view. I don't know why they call it that, but anyway, no, I do, because you go through a tunnel, and then there you are, and right when we came through the tunnel, I looked up, and God took my breath away. This is what I saw. I've got a picture of it. Have you been to Yosemite? Raise your hand if you've ever been to Yosemite. Okay, you have got to go there. You've got to go there. I came out of the tunnel, and that's what I saw. And do you know what I said? I said, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the only reason I said that is because I had been meditating on Psalm 8, getting ready for today. God gave me language to say something back to him in response to an experience that I was having that I may not ever have said to him because of that moment looking out over Yosemite. Amazing. How about you? You experience God's power in creation. You don't quite know what to say. Well, you can go to the Psalms. You can go to Psalm 8 and say it. So this, ser- this series, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you, I'm going to call our church to reclaim the Psalms in your prayer life, all right? This is the purpose of our series together. We're going to preach 10 Psalms, and the 10 that we're picking are Psalms that you can begin to use in your personal prayer life. We're not just going to study the Psalms. We're not just going to unpack them theologically. We're going to show you how to use them in prayer. I'm not an expert on the Psalms. I'm just a fellow traveler, just like you. But I've learned this. I've learned that when I don't quite know what to pray, I can turn to this humble book in the Old Testament, 150 poems, and I can find language to talk to God. How about you? I've talked to people in our church. Hey, what do you think about the Psalms? And I've heard all kinds of stuff. I've heard people say, I love the Psalms. I I, I read a Psalm every day. I've heard people say, the Psalms confuse me. The Psalms intimidate me. I read stuff I don't understand. I've heard people say, where are the Psalms again in the Bible? (laughs) I've heard that. I won't call you out. Just raise your hand. No, don't. (laughs) Okay, so that's okay. we're, We're on a broad spectrum here. But can I tell you something? If you begin to pray the Psalms and soak in the Psalms and immerse yourself, you'll fall in love with them. Just like me, you'll fall in love with them. That's what we're gonna do. And today I wanna give you three reasons why you should pray the Psalms. Three reasons. They come from Psalm 8. Here's reason number one, that you should begin to pray the Psalms. Not just read them, but pray them. Reason number one is this. Because the Psalms are all about God. They're all about God. Does that sound obvious? Well, let me press a little deeper and say it like this. The Psalms give us 
some of the most profound and rich descriptions of God in the entire Bible. Descriptions that no human being could ever invent. They, the only explanation for them is that they are divinely inspired. Language that describes God that could never come from a human being, from a human mind, from a human pen. That's what you find. As you immerse yourself in the Psalms, you'll find yourself saying things to God in prayer that you've never said before about his character, about his nature. This is what happens as David thought about the character of God, the attributes of God. He wrote something like the following. Don't turn there, I'll just read it to you. Psalm 36, verse five. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. You could pray that to God every day. When David thought about the perfect wisdom of God, the perfect knowledge of God, he wrote Psalm 139. And he said, God, you know everything about me. You go before me, you hem me in, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And then he wrote this, Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, your thoughts are precious. They're if I tried to count them, they would number the sands on the beach. That's how perfect God's knowledge is. When David thought about God saving him, he wrote Psalm 54, and he said, Behold, God is my helper. God, you're my helper. This is amazing. And when David laid out under the stars and he saw the Milky Way, We'll have to take his word for it. But when he saw that, do you know what he wrote? He wrote Psalm 8, verse 1. My God, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8 is all about God from beginning to end. Can I show you something? Look at Psalm 8, verse 1, and then verse 9. In your own Bible, and what do you see? Those two verses are identical. Anytime a psalm begins and ends with the same verse, you know, okay, that is the main point of this psalm. Even though there's stuff in between, this psalm begins and ends with the majesty of God. Now, in the middle, there's important stuff. Like David says, what is man? He goes, who, who, what are human beings? And that's a question we want to answer. But what David's going to say is, you can't answer that question until you answer the question, who's God? You want to understand humanity, you can't start with humanity. You have to start with the one who created humanity and you have to say, who is God? And David says, God is majestic. He's just majestic. What does he mean? Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? Here's what David is saying. He's saying there's not a single place you can go on this planet and not be confronted with the majesty of God. Everywhere you go, every human being who lays out under the stars knows somewhere in their heart that that was created by a majestic God. Even if they suppress that knowledge, they know it. David says, you cannot 
look at the heavens and not see the glory of God. Amazing. That's David's point. And so he prays, God, this is true of you. It's true of you because you set your glory there. Did you see that? Verse 1, part B. Why do people, when they see creation, experience the transcendent living creator God? Because God has set his glory in the heavens. God's constantly speaking through creation to his creatures and they're hearing it. Now, many of them are actively suppressing it, but the message is coming through. The message is coming through and David knows it. Psalm 8 is a a praise, but you know what else Psalm 8 is? Psalm 8 is a prayer. David says, this is true. Your name is majestic in all the earth. And then what David says is he says, and I pray, God, that it will become more true. Can I ask you a question, River West? Do you ever pray for that? Do you pray? Lord, I pray that your reputation, your name would spread globally, that, that, that the whole earth would be confronted with your majesty. Do you pray for that? Do you cry out to God for that? You will if you start praying Psalm 8. I had an experience in Yosemite that I've never had before. Um, so one of the things you'll know about Yosemite is that a lot of people go there. Did you know this? A lot of people, like 4.2 million people will go to Yosemite every year and 90% of them go by car. So there's traffic, okay? And normally I would be very annoyed by that. In fact, when I was down there, somebody said, the ugliest thing about Yosemite is the people, okay? And normally I would agree with that. But I had this experience. So let me put that picture back up. Here's what happened to me. I was standing right there and there was about that many people, maybe more, several hundred, maybe four or 500 people. And here's what happened. I'm looking out over the valley and I start noticing all of these different languages being spoken. German, Swedish, Japanese, you name it. People from all over the globe come and stand right there. And normally I would be annoyed because I would know I have to follow your car now through the valley, right? But do you know what happened to me? I prayed something that I would have never had the presence of mind to pray. And I prayed it because I had been meditating on Psalm 8. And do you know what I prayed? I prayed, God, I pray that every person standing here sees your majesty right now. I pray that, Lord, how majestic is your name. I pray they can no longer suppress the reality that there's a creator God who loves them. Please penetrate human hearts right now, God. I've never prayed something like that before. And I prayed it because God gave us a prayer book to help us. Amen. Isn't that interesting? Can I, can I suggest something, River West? If we, if we only pray on our own, you know what we'll do? We'll always tend to go back to the same prayers that we like to pray. We're creatures of habit. So we'll, left, left on our own, we'll pray things that we're used to praying, but we may not always pray the things that God wants us to pray. And not only that, left to our own, we may not actually say things to God and about God that are biblical things about God. 
Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Answering God, and and here's how he said it. I love this quote. It impacted me deeply. He said, left to ourselves, listen to this. This is amazing. Left to ourselves, we will pray to some God who speaks what we like hearing or to the part of God that we manage to understand. So Eugene Peterson is saying, we tend to want to pray to the God that we like, the God that we're comfortable with. I've heard it said in the beginning, God created us in his image, and ever since, we've been returning the favor. Right? We, t- we create God in our own image, and that tends to also be the God that we pray to. And the Psalms will never let you get away with that because the Psalms will give you language to say things to God that are true about him that sometimes move you and disrupt you and force you to see things about him that are true, even if they don't always make you feel comfortable. You'll find yourself saying the things back to God that he said to us first. The Psalms help us answer God. And that's why you should pray them. That's reason number one. But here's reason number two. Reason number one is because the Psalms are about God. But reason number two that you should pray the Psalms is because, folks, the Psalms are about us. They're about humans. The Psalms are very human. Did you know this? They're about God. They're lofty, but they're not abstract, and they're not disconnected from reality. The Psalms are very concrete. In one psalm, David will say, Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And two verses later, he'll say, What is man that you're mindful of him? That's what makes the psalms so beautiful. They're right down here at the concrete of real life, real human experiences. Every psalm was written in response to a real human experience in real life. So David had sinned against Bathsheba. You know the story. It's one of the worst sins in the Bible. And the prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him and said, dude, uh, you are way off. And David, his heart was punctured. And you know what he did? He wrote a psalm. Do you know what psalm it was? Psalm 51. He said, oh my gosh, Lord, my sin is against you. Will you please wash me with hyssop? He said, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever found yourself in sin? Maybe it's not as bad as David's sin, but, but bad no less, and you don't know how to pray? Go to Psalm 51. David was rescued from King Saul, and God delivered him, and he wrote Psalm 18, where, he'd, where he described God as his rock and his fortress and his shelter. Amazing. There's no experience that you will have in this life that has not already been anticipated in the Psalms. Every experience you could have is right here. Sometimes you have an experience and you, and you don't even know it's about to happen to you and then suddenly you have it and then you go back to a Psalm that you had read before and you realize this Psalm is now giving me exactly what I need to talk to God about it. David had an experience. He laid out under the stars and he realized I am so small compared to the majesty of God. He said, what is man that you're mindful of him, right? And he cried out to God. He prayed, amazing. Have you ever felt that? Things in your life are overwhelming 
you feel out of control. You feel like you're just a cog in a system and you think, I'm so small, I'm so insignificant. Would you know where to go to find language to talk to God about that? You go to Psalm 8. But can I show you something interesting about that? Will you look back at Psalm 8 with me? David doesn't stay with how small humankind is. He realizes something really important. He realizes we are small, but we're also incredibly precious in God's eyes. And so he says, verse 5, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Do you see the little number one in your Bible? Um, I wish that the translators had the nerve to put the real word in there. The word is actually the Hebrew word for God. And what, what, what David said here is he said, you've made, we're, we're small, yes. But you know what's amazing? You've made us just a little bit lower than you. That's how much you love us. That's how special human beings are in your eyes, God. Precious, created in the image of God. Uniquely wired to know God intimately, like no other creature on earth, human beings. David prays that. When we were in Korea, the most beautiful thing about going there was watching our high school students have this experience when they were interacting with the residents who have handicaps. And you got to know that um, some of the residents are, are pretty high-functioning, high-functioning Down syndrome or other types of things, but it runs the gamut all the way down to people who are completely quadriplegic, cannot feed themselves, care for themselves. They, they basically spend their entire lives horizontal. And your high school students spent the week loving on those residents. I, I, I walked into a moment where one of the high school boys was getting a bear hug from this guy. He just, and he would not let go. And I looked as the high school kid was like, when's this going to end? I don't know when this is going to end. And this resident was just hugging him and it was so beautiful. And every one of our students would come back and they would say, you know what happened to me? I, I, I realized that, that these residents are image bearers. They're created in the image of God. They're precious to God. I learned from them. They didn't learn from me. I was blessed by them. They were not blessed by me. I saw in them joy and love and community and the light of God flickering boldly because human beings are precious in God's sight. It's amazing. That's one experience. And when you have that experience, you have a psalm to pray. But you're going to have other experiences. You're going to turn on the news this week and your heart's going to break. You're going to read something horrible. You're going to be confronted with an injustice in our world and you're going to feel something powerful in your relationship with God and you won't quite know what to say. And there are psalms for that. We call them songs of lament. And there are some psalms where David cries out for justice. We call these imprecatory psalms. They're the kinds of psalms where you pray, God, please come soon and bring justice to our world. Take away the evil. Take away the sin. Do you know how to pray for that? The psalms will teach you how to pray for that. This week, you're going to have an experience where you're going to realize God has blessed me, and you're going to want to say thank you to him. Do you know how to do it? Let me show you a psalm I read Friday night. Turn to Psalm 16 real quick. 
On Friday night, I was sitting in my living room and I was looking over at my wife and my two daughters and I became overwhelmed by how good God has been to me. And I didn't know what to say. And I opened up Psalm 16. And here's what I read. I've never, I've never prayed this before, but it became my prayer. Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Look at this phrase. I love this. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. Isn't that amazing? Half of you are like, I don't understand a word of that sentence. <laughs> no, look what it says. He's saying, God, look where you caused the lines of my life to fall. Where I was born, where I was raised, who I spend my days with. Look at my inheritance, God. Not just the people in my life, but the inheritance that I have with you as my Savior. I will never worry about where I'll spend eternity because you have blessed me with an eternal inheritance. Have you ever felt that? And then wondered, how do I say that to God? Go to Psalm 16. Go to Psalm 16. If you blow it this week and you fall on your face and you sin, go to Psalm 51 and pray. That's what the Psalms are. They give you language. You take the Psalms and you, and, you, and you immerse yourself in them and you make the language your own. And what happens is you find that you begin saying things to God that you would never say on your own. And you find that you begin processing things with God that you've never processed before. You find that you're working through stuff that people in our world spend thousands of dollars with a therapist to work through. And they never went to God first and said, God, can you help me understand this experience? Therapy's great. I'm not knocking therapy. I'm saying, have you prayed first? The Psalms give you the ability to talk to God about real experiences that you're having and work those through in a relationship of prayer. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And here's one more thing. This is so important. If you begin praying the Psalms, you'll begin having experiences that you have not had with God, but you really should have had already because the Psalms will drag you into places with God that you might not be inclined to go. Let me give you an example. Turn to Psalm 139. I already mentioned it. Now I'm going to show you the last two verses. I wonder... If you've ever prayed this, because I know that I'm not inclined to pray this, <laughs> I try to avoid this prayer with every ounce of energy that I have. <laughs> Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can I suggest something? Do you know how powerful it would be if we prayed this every day? If we came before God, and we don't do it very often because it's uncomfortable, but if we came before God and we said, God, no, I don't want any secrets anymore. 
I don't want there to be any of those places that are in a shadow that I have, I'm trying to, trying to hide from you. I genuinely, God, I want you to open up my chest and bring all the light of your grace and your wisdom in so that, so that I can be totally known by you and totally honest before you. Beautiful. So we're going on a journey. Church, we're going on a journey in the Psalms. We're not going to preach every Psalm. We're only going to preach 10. And we're going to be as practical as we can be. We're going to show you different examples. And every Sunday over the next nine weeks, when you come, you will leave with a Psalm that you can begin to pray. And we hope it'll be practical. And in that light, I'm going to recommend a resource because I know the Psalms are intimidating. And so um, I came across a devotional by Kathy and Tim Keller about the Psalms. This is pure gold. It's pure gold. In fact, um, at the nine o'clock service, I said to the church, I have a hundred of these for sale in the foyer. And what you're going to discover is there aren't any more. They all got sold. All right. So Amazon is your friend. All right. Um, Go on to Amazon, buy this, This is amazing because what it does is every day you read a a psalm and then there's a little bit of commentary and then there's a prayer that you can pray and you can start to take that psalm and make it a part of your prayer life. I'm recommending this highly. Buy this, use it this summer, use it for the rest of your life. But did you notice what Timothy Keller calls the psalms? He calls them the songs of Jesus. What does he mean by that? Well, that's reason number three why you should pray the Psalms. And here's what it is. Because the Psalms will always direct your attention to Jesus. Always. Every Psalm is about Jesus. Every Psalm can only be fully fulfilled through Jesus. How do we know this? Because Jesus said it himself in Luke chapter 24. Let me read it to you. I'll just do this quick. At the end of the gospel, Jesus has gone to the cross for human sin. He's walked out of the tomb in victory, and he's frustrated with his disciples because they don't understand why he had to suffer, and he teaches them. And here's what he says, Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Amazing. Scandalous. Do you know what Jesus just said? He has said the entire Old Testament, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's the three main sections of the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, every one of them is about Jesus Christ. Amazing. Including every single psalm. You read a psalm and you begin praying it. And as you read it, your heart, the eyes of your heart should be thinking, what is this psalm trying to show me about Jesus? Why do I need Jesus? What does it mean to pray to Jesus, to worship Jesus, to follow Jesus? How is the psalm fulfilled in Jesus? Psalm 8 is quoted three times in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Matthew, in Ephesians chapter 1, and in Hebrews 2, and in every 
place, the New Testament writer says, this psalm is about Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes God's name majestic in all the earth. Jesus is the one who ultimately rules over all creation. He's the son of man who temporarily was made made a human, made lower than the angels, and then he died and rose again, and now he reigns, and everything is under his feet. And suddenly you're reading Psalm 8, and you're realizing this whole psalm is about Jesus. Amazing. And I experience it as I relate to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Every psalm is about Jesus. And here's what will happen in your life. As you pray the psalms, as you read the psalms, as you sing the psalms, you'll find that you're being directed again and again to know Christ, to love Christ, to follow Christ, and to worship Christ. And if you do that, you will be blessed as a follower of Christ. I promise you. I've never met anyone in my life who fell in love with the Psalms without actually reading them and praying them. You fall in love with them as you make them your own. You fall in love with them as you cry out the words of the Psalms in your prayer life. And so that's what we're going to do together. And I'm going to pray about that right now. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's thank the Lord. We worship you. Father, we thank you for your word. Every sentence of it. But especially today in light of our, of our time together, we thank you for the book of Psalms. This treasure chest of poems and prayers and songs that you've given us that we can connect with you, Lord. I want to pray, Father, that as a church over the next nine weeks that our prayer life would be enhanced, that we would find that we're saying things to you in prayer that we've never said before, God, and it would be a blessing and it would stretch us and challenge us and cause us to grow. And most importantly, Lord, I pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit as we read and pray the Psalms, we would come to know Jesus Christ, our Savior, more deeply. We want to pray about that now as we get ready to go to the table, Lord. To remember that from the very beginning, your word was predicting this moment that, that the world needs a Savior, a Messiah who would come and finally live the perfect life, the life that Israel had failed to live. God, you've given us a new and better Israel who lived perfectly before you, obeyed every law, and then died the perfect death. God, we thank you for Jesus' death, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and we thank you that Jesus rose again in victory, and he reigns, and he's the king, and we look forward to the day when we will reign with him, God, in perfection, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.